Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, tune in to hear some of the policy updates happening from around the states with Michael Murphy. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Michael Murphy, is a PharmD MBA and serves as Assistant Professor of Clinical Pharmacy at The Ohio State University College of Pharmacy and an advisor for state government affairs at the American Pharmacists Association. In these roles, he teaches, conducts research, and advocates for uh, or across the country for increased patient access to pharmacist-provided care. He previously was a part of the team working at the Ohio Pharmacists Association on the implementation of pharmacist-provider status legislation in Ohio, and he's held several volunteer leadership positions, including his term as the 2017 to 2018 APHA Academy of Student Pharmacists National President and a member of the 2017-2018 Board of Trustees. Michael, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Hillary. I'm really excited to be here and talk about some of the exciting stuff happening within the pharmacy policy space. Yes. Well, uh, thanks for, for joining us. And now that our listeners have ha- heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps to that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So um, on the Ohio State side, I'm lucky enough to be on faculty and get to work with students. Um, several of the courses that I teach are focused on health policy, leadership, and really understanding how you can advocate for positive changes within the healthcare system. And on the APHA side, I am lucky enough to get to work with um, incredible leaders across the country, predominantly that, um, that lead the state pharmacy associations on their different priorities. Um, and those range from things like provider status for pharmacists, scope of practice expansion, pharmacy benefit manager reform, and and other issues. And we really work together uh, to make changes to state law, state rules, uh, to to make improvements uh, for the pharmacy profession so that pharmacists can practice at the full height of their license um, and patients have greater access to both their medications and services provided by pharmacists. Um, on the, on the personal front, I, um, I live in Ohio um, on five acres with my wife. My wife is a dairy farmer, um, so uh, we, we love getting to, to live in Ohio, and she works on our parents' farm. And we've got uh, four dogs here, so it's, uh, it's always a little bit chaotic um, on the home front with uh, so many animals, but it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a little bit about me. All right, great. Well, it's always neat to hear a little bit of that unique, uh, you know, behind the scenes uh, to bring um, our our you know honored guests a little bit more personal. So, Michael, you have um, you know pursued leadership uh, positions, including you know being very involved with with APHA and 
uh, you know, fast forward to today, you're now um, able to serve as an advisor um, for them. So, but, you know, tell us a little bit about how you got into policy. So we see from, you know, your background, you've obviously got your pharmacy degree. uh, You've also got your MBA, but Tell us, you know, why policy, a little bit more about that so people can know, you know, how, you know, they see this amazing CV or bio and they're like, how did they get to where they are now? Oh, yeah. Well, I got to um, really give it up for APHA ASP, the Academy of Student Pharmacists. Um, I got involved early on in my PharmD career and that's where I started to really see all of the opportunities within the policy space within pharmacy and see where there were a lot of opportunities for improvement. And I just started asking the question, you know, raising my hand and asking the question, how do I get involved? How can I participate in this? Um, and, you know, that involvement really helped me to see that uh, students and, and pharmacists voices matter and they can make a difference. But I don't think that I really got as passionate as I am uh, within the health policy space until I got out into my residency and fellowship where I was practicing within an ambulatory care setting. And I started to see all of these different barriers that patients were facing every single day in accessing their care. And it was just really upsetting. I mean, these are patients that that are really engaged. They want to reach their health goals, but they couldn't because of transportation issues or issues with um, with their insurance. And I really identified that there was a lack of individuals advocating for these patients in making changes to the healthcare system to improve their access to care. And knowing that pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare professionals, but we're often underutilized and not leveraged to our full potential, I just recognized that there was really a need for change within the policy space to better align our role with our education and training to really increase access to care to all these patients that are really facing so many barriers within our society. So... I think that being out in practice really, you know, ignited a spark in me that I wanted to make a difference in this space. And through a lot of um, help from mentors and a lot of studying about the different issues within the pharmacy space, I've been lucky enough to, to end up in a role now where I get to do this type of work every single day and get to engage with um, states on their specific issues but also have the opportunity to work with my partners um, as we advocate for changes at the federal level as well. Uh, so really, really lucky to, to be in this position. Um, but I would say that, you know, one of the big things that I, I really um, want to highlight is the importance of investing in yourself uh, and, and doing that through postgraduate training and education and also just learning about and reading about these issues um, can really help to, to open doors um, so that you can work within the space and, and advocate for the changes that you want to see within the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Michael, um, you know, you mentioned that, and of course, we know APHA is a, is a national association, but 
share a little bit about their investment in uh, working with state associations and um, some of the wins that you know you guys have had over the last year, and then maybe what some opportunities you see uh, for. 2023. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. I'd love to talk about that. So um, APHA um, historically has had a, a lot of focus at the national level in advocating for changes to Congress, but also to our federal agencies and to the executive branch of you know the government. And, you know, over the past several years, I think that we have all seen how quickly things are changing at the state level related to the profession of pharmacy. And uh, ABHA, recognizing all of this opportunity and change, um, wanted to ensure that there was support coming from one of the national pharmacy associations in providing assistance to the state pharmacy associations as they work on their different legislative and regulatory priorities. So they brought me on board um, back in. July of 2021, and I, um, you know, my my first uh, my first assigned duty was setting down and meeting with all of the executives of all the state pharmacy associations and learning more about their associations, their priorities, and and what they were really focused on, making changes in their legislative and um, and regulatory advancements over the coming years, and. We've identified several themes and in several areas that APHA, based on our expertise as staff members, can really provide support um, to the state pharmacy associations as they are working on making these changes to state law and regulations. So I, I really want to ensure that I highlight here that um, it's truly a partnership, um, and and we really value. And, and appreciate the opportunity to work in collaboration with the state pharmacy associations to make changes to things like scope of practice laws and Medicaid payment for services laws and reforming pharmacy benefit managers, because we know that that helps to serve both our members from APHA, but also the state pharmacy association members as we look for opportunities to increase the um, the accessibility of the pharmacist and also help to remove barriers that patients may face in accessing, you know, both the services provided by their pharmacist, but also their medications. So that's kind of the overall, you know, uh, mantra that we kind of follow as we um, work in partnership with our uh, state partners. But I'll also highlight just a, a few of the exciting things that we uh, we're able to work on over this past year. Um, and it, it, it's really exciting to see um, all of these big changes happening at the state level. And just a few things that I'll, I'll highlight here that were really exciting. The Colorado Pharmacist Society um, over the past few years has really been working on um, expanding pharmacist scope of practice, but also uh, ensuring that there were opportunities for pharmacists to be reimbursed for their patient care services, both under commercial health insurance and also Medicaid. And um, they were able to pass a law um, within the past few years that expanded pharmacists ability to receive that reimbursement under Medicaid. And we worked in partnership with CPS 
um, over this past year, really on the implementation and regulatory side of that. And it was really exciting to see that the Medicaid officials, as they were going through this implementation process, really recognized and understood the role and value of the pharmacist and accepted a lot of the recommendations that were made both by CPS and APHA. And that's resulted in a very progressive program that's now reimbursing pharmacists um, comparable to how physicians or advanced practice registered nurses or physician assistants are reimbursed for their services. And um, really when we're talking about and advocating for payment for pharmacist services, we, we commonly say, just treat us the same as other healthcare professionals. That's all we want. We want to be treated the same for the cognitive services that we're providing to our patients. And it's just really exciting to see when decision makers listen to that and agree. Um, so that's just one example of, of an exciting um, advancement that, that was made. There's a lot of other examples. You know, we've seen a lot of states that are working on expanding pharmacists' scope of practice to align their uh, permanent scope with some of the expansions that we got during the public health emergency related to vaccination authority and also pharmacists' ability to test and treat for minor ailments. And we've seen a lot of focus on reforming pharmacy benefit managers, both in increasing regulatory oversight of PBMs, ensuring that there are some licensure requirements, and also there's a big focus on um, making sure that there are some teeth behind these regulations, that um, PBMs don't just have the, the choice to ignore uh, state law and state rules, but um, the insurance commissioners have the authority to to enforce them uh, to ensure that they're following these rules so that pharmacies can continue to be sustainable businesses that are providing vital services uh, and medications to their communities. So on the on the forefront, what we're seeing here in 2023, um, as of today, uh, a majority of the state legislative sessions are currently up and running, and I am seeing between 50 to 100 bills uh, introduced every day that are going to have some type of impact to the profession of pharmacy. And we're seeing a lot of focus here on pharmacists getting paid for their services, both under Medicaid and commercial health insurance. We're seeing a lot of focus here on pharmacist authority to administer vaccinations and really expanding that authority. Um, pharmacist ability to prescribe for different public health related um, conditions um, like prescribing HIV pre-exposure and post-exposure prophylaxis um, and also hormonal contraceptives under statewide protocols. Uh, so I, I could go on and on. There's just there's so much going on and um, really exciting to see and, and work with, you know, the, the state pharmacy associations on all these different issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with you being from Ohio, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of action there, um, you know, looking at uh, provider status and, um, you know, some of the reform uh, that's happened with Ohio Medicaid. 
uh, and just some of the other things. What are some of the other states that have a lot of uh, legislation coming down the pike and um, that you spend a lot of your time? They've, you know, that have kind of maybe, you know, some states have different, you know, maybe there's been more advancement in, in provider status or maybe some other ones are choosing to focus more on PBM. Um, any, any areas where you've, you've spent a little bit more time or we can see a lot of movement? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And um, since you mentioned Ohio, I want to make sure to, to highlight and call out um, the good work of my team members there um, that I was lucky enough to be on the team working at the Ohio Farmers Association on the implementation of provider status. And that was Stu Beatty, Antonio Chacha, Miriam Shaoheda, um, and Ernie Boyd. So just really uh, appreciated the chance to, to work with them on those advancements that helped to um, ensure that pharmacists were getting paid for their services by Medicaid. And there are a lot of other states that we're seeing um, really exciting advancements. Kentucky um, just published, published a press release earlier um, in the fall highlighting that one of their commercial health plans in the state was going to begin um, enrolling and credentialing pharmacists as providers and allow them to begin um, being reimbursed for their patient care services. That was the result of one of their uh, pieces of legislation that they had passed the previous year uh, that mandated that commercial health insurance plans had to begin re reimbursing pharmacists for their services. But after a piece of legislation is passed, there's a lot that goes into the implementation process as well. So it was really exciting to see the Kentucky Pharmacists Association um, get that win and uh, to allow pharmacists to begin being enrolled and credentialed as healthcare providers. Uh, and there's lots of other examples. One that um, I, I talk about a lot that's going to be really exciting to see is Wisconsin. Wisconsin passed a Medicaid payment for services bill um, that really had um, minimal restrictions to pharmacists participating in these programs. One of the common things that we see when it comes to provider status and payment for services at the state level is that commonly we're seeing either commercial health insurance or Medicaid put different restrictions that may limit pharmacists from participating in programs or may limit patients from receiving care from their pharmacists. And we're commonly seeing that as a way to potentially put some guardrails around anticipated costs that, that these different public and private health plans may um, be worried about related to these types of programs. And um, Wisconsin is, is a state that passed a law that did not include any of those restrictions. Now, they're currently going through the implementation process. So the final program um, may have some uh, amount of restrictions in place. But if it is implemented as it was signed into law, we could be looking at one of the most um, progressive programs paying pharmacists for their services in the country. And, you know, that really came uh, due to the, the hard work of the Pharmacist Society of Wisconsin. So I want to make sure to, to call out them 
and and their incredible advocacy work. So that's on the the payment for services front. There's a lot of different states that we're seeing that are going to be introducing bills related to that this year. Um, on the scope of practice front, we've seen a lot of states that are working on um, expanding pharmacist authority to prescribe for different medications. And um, the, the recent focus has been on testing and treating for minor ailments. I think that that comes really as a result of the pandemic and um, the recognition that pharmacists have this, you know, increased accessibility. They can test for something like flu or strep or COVID-19 and then prescribe for, um, you know, the treatment for that based off of a protocol. We saw Delaware last year sign into law a bill that expanded pharmacist authority to test and treat for those services. We know that Kentucky and Iowa and Florida have uh, similarly already signed into um, law pieces of legislation that gives pharmacists the authority as well as some other states. But we really anticipate that there's going to be a lot more of a focus um, on those types of policy efforts here in the coming year or so. Um, one little caveat that will be interesting to see um, how far this moves is we know that Idaho has more of an independent prescriptive authority for certain indications um, that pharmacists have within their practice act. And there's been some discussion in other states on, you know, allowing pharmacists that same independent authority. So not necessarily tying things back to a statewide protocol or a standing order, but really giving pharmacists the authority to prescribe medications based off of, you know, their own professional judgment. So it's just really exciting to see all of the variability from state to state and how these different um, programs and, and the practice of pharmacy is evolving. And what is really empowering to see, I think, is that um, the states aren't siloed. You know, we're, we're all working together. You know, APHA is working with the state pharmacy associations and other national partners to ensure that we're learning you know, as these programs evolve and then taking those lessons learned and opportunities for improvement to, you know, the next state and then helping to ensure that, um, you know, those those lessons learned are, you know, being implemented so that we can continue to move forward in increasing access to services and care provided by pharmacists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just makes so much sense. I'm so glad for the new strategy um, to, you know, help support the states and to kind of be that dissemination of best practices and sharing, you know, oh, Kentucky did this. How can we, you know, update the practice in Florida or, you know, Georgia, wherever. Um, so I just love the, the strategy and the, the partnership. Um, I think that, that it's really great um, moving in, in that direction. So another thing that, that you touched on, um, we've had a lot of good success with um, passing some of these laws at the state level, but then sometimes we see implementation lagging behind. Like if we look at the numbers of pharmacists that are signed up, um, and, I, and you know, we've got some really great leaders that are, um, have done it and are or great educators and teachers like Todd Sorensen in Minnesota, Stuart Beatty in Ohio. But 
what else can we do um, to help to help you know just drive that enrollment of more pharmacists uh, to get signed up and and implement uh, into these you know new laws. That is an incredible question. And if we can figure out the solution to this on this podcast, I think that, uh, you know, we're going to be winning some awards. Um, but I, I'll, I'll say it's, you know, with anything, anything new, it kind of follows this innovation um, life, ci- life cycle um, idea that I know has been talked about, you know, within business circles, but also within the profession of pharmacy, that, you know, there's going to be the early adopters that mm-hmm. are seeing something new, they're excited to participate, they know that it might take, you know, some investment, maybe that investment is um, right. financial, maybe it's training, but they see and they want to participate in it. And then there's going to be the people that are kind of watching. They're in the middle. They want to see if things work. They want to see what that return on investment is. They want to see if more patients are coming or not. And then there's going to be more of the the late adopters that, you know, maybe are are waiting until, you know, it's really totally mainstream and then they're going to participate. So I think for a lot of these programs right now that we're seeing, you know, enrolling pharmacists as medical providers within Medicaid and commercial health plans, we're still in that early adopter phase phase because there are some investment that needs to be made. You know, we need to help with education related to what is and how do we bill as medical providers. For some pharmacists in certain practice settings, there might be some operational and IT investment that's needed. Maybe there's the need for some community pharmacies that don't have the luxury of having a specific patient counseling room maybe there needs to be the development or or construction of that type of space within the community pharmacy. So um, even though, you know, I, I think that we have seen in some of these programs that we're kind of slowly increasing that implementation, it's not too concerning to me because I think that we're still in that early adoptive phase. What I will say is that if there are pharmacists out there that see these opportunities and see these doors opening, and they can do their own internal calculations to see that it's going to, you know, benefit their patients and also benefit their business. You know, take that leap of faith because we are seeing pharmacists that are participating in these programs and they are seeing that return on their investment. Um, I know one pharmacist that I used to work with back when I was um, uh working in Ohio, um, they were able to hire on several additional additional pharmacists just providing um, clinical services to their patients because of the reimbursement that they were getting through Ohio Medicaid. So, you know, that's just one anecdotal um, experience from one pharmacist. But, you know, those examples are out there. And I think that we're going to continue to see through scholarship and through, you know, presentations at different conferences, then more and more pharmacists are going to participate in these programs. We're going to see more return on investment. More pharmacists are going to eventually walk through the door. And it's going to become more of the norm within the profession. Um, But I I definitely want to make sure to highlight that I think mediums such as this 
um, on your podcast, Hillary, are a great way to spread the message and to encourage pharmacists to participate in these programs if they have the ability to within their state. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, there are, you know, pharmacists uh, who are coming up with with companies and tools. Um, I, you know, I mentioned some of the leaders who are, you know, educators and, and have done that. But also, you know, um, uh, Sam Anderag and Doc Station, you know, he saw a need and they've created an awesome tool to help uh, pharmacies document and bill for their services. So um, I think that we're, you know, getting some of that uh, out there. Tools are available. So um, hopefully we'll just continue to see um, more of that expand over the next couple of years. So very good. Um, well, Michael, we're very, you know, we're so glad about all of the work that you're doing and um, uh, can't wait to kind of see what is coming ahead uh, with the, the legislation for, you know, this, you know, spring uh, sessions. And, um, but as our final question that I love to ask all of our guests is what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? Oh, wow. Um, that's a, that's a great question. And I would say, um, to my younger self or to students or, or new practitioners, um, if there is a niche out there that you don't really see, um, a whole lot of, um, opportunities in, raise your hand and ask the question, can this be a role that I can serve in? Uh, or, or can this be a career? And if you ask that question to your mentors, and if you uh, also look across the profession and see if there are, you know, pharmacists that are somewhere within that type of space and reach out to them, you'd be surprised by how many opportunities can come from that. I think that, you know, my my own story, you know, kind of a, a policy geek in you know, both undergrad, but also in pharmacy school that has really been lucky enough to find myself in a career where I'm going to be able to do this for the majority of my career. I just feel over the moon and so, so blessed. But I think that it comes back to, you know, me um, being being brave enough, I guess, to to raise my hand and ask the question to some of my mentors and say, is this a possible career for me? And I was lucky enough that I had mentors that were, you know, willing to look into it and identify the right people to get me connected to help make it a career. So I think that we see a lot of students that are looking for, you know, ways to influence and create change in non-traditional spaces. So I think that is fantastic. And just raise your hand, ask the question, can this be my career? And you'd be surprised by the answers that come back. Yeah. Love it. Well, Michael, thank you so much for sharing. It was a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know.